the 111th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams' front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, back with you guys. An exhausted, a sweat-filled edition of the pod is coming up as Carolina. Wow, way to sell the pod right out of the gate. Against all the odds entering the tournament and then losing Brady Manick to an ejection. Caleb Love to foul troubles. Take down number one seed Baylor, 91-286 in Fort Worth, Texas, basically in Baylor's backyard, to advance to their 37th Sweet 16 appearance next weekend in Philadelphia as Carolina gutted out as gutty a win I've ever seen in my 15 years watching the program as gutsy a win as we've ever seen, maybe in the history of the NCAA tournament, with everything that went into the last 10 minutes or so of the game. And um, it was one of those, you know, post, post-game post embraces that we had where it was emotional because this was a team that a month and a half ago was left for dead. We didn't think they were going anywhere, and they, they probably weren't going anywhere. But they found a heart and a competitive spirit that we're used to seeing Carolina teams play with. And it's changed everything for them. And all of a sudden, this team finds itself as one of the last 16 teams playing in college basketball. And who knows how far they can go because this team is hot. They're still hot. But they're also a team that plays for one another, plays for each other. And a team that's doing that in March is as dangerous as any team that, that that's left in, in, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, you're you're right. And, and and somebody tweeted it out after the game. I think it was Josh Graham who we had on uh, back in the, the offseason. He said, is this a team that's starting to give you feels of that 2000 Carolina team, a team mm. that was an eight seed and might be a little underseeded? with how they were playing late in the year and now is starting to turn into one of the nation's best. I mean, look, yeah, it's it's starting to look like that. Um, you're, you're talking about the leadership of the guys that are on the floor. You saw it today. It was clear early on that Caleb Love was was not on. He wasn't going to have one of his games today that mm-hmm. you know you you were going to need him to have. Um, you know, if if R.J. Davis was off and R.J. Davis stepped up and 
at this point, I mean, R.J. Davis is starting to get to that point where he's he's going to be one of the program favorites for a while moving forward. Yep. He's starting to make that ascension that guards make here at Carolina, and it's it's somewhat similar to the career path that Joe Barry took. Um, but you're seeing a guy that in multiple games this year, and you look, the two biggest wins of the season have been two of R.J. Davis's best games, if not his his top two. Today, today was his best game. There's no arguing that. He'd scored 30. He hit the shots that he needed to, and that shot in overtime that he hit fighting through the contact is one of the most important shots um, for, for, for this team. And, and you could probably make the argument for the direction of the Tar Heel program mm. because if they lose that game today, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to say that this ruins everything. That would have been a tough one to have to come back from. It. It definitely would have left an unsettling feeling in your stomach because you were up 25 with 10 minutes to go. Right. Instead, now you're talking about one of the just toughest moments this program has had mm-hmm. in terms of. Uh, I mean, showing resolve, and they found a way to pull it out. I mean, look. There's. There's just. You. you there is no room to criticize this team anymore. You could say whatever you want about them letting Baylor back into the game. The referees were what turned that game. I don't. I don't care. I know we're not. We, oh well, we don't blame referees. If you watch that game, the refs single-handedly turned that game with the ejection of Brady Manick, which, look, I'll admit, was a flagrant one. Yep. That was not a flagrant two. I, I don't. I don't understand that call, but. For Carolina, I mean, look, when that game went to overtime, I think we all kind of felt the same way because we've been in those games before. Hell, in the 2016 National Championship, we thought if that game went to overtime, Carolina had the momentum. Well, conventional wisdom leads you to believe you blow a 25-point lead, you're without uh, Brady Manick, your point guard or your second ball handler is fouled out of the game. Baycott's got four fouls. I mean, two of your two of your quote iron five gone. that we've talked so much about gone from the game. Dontrez Styles, who is starting to get more run as the season has gone along, but still, I mean, more run. We're talking about this dude's playing double digit minutes. Yeah, and Puff Johnson didn't play a whole lot in this game. I, I mean that that's a scenario where if you laid it out on paper, I would have told you this team's getting blasted. And and they. They found more resolve. They dug a little bit deeper. And the game meant more to Carolina than it meant to Baylor. It showed in overtime. Because had had the game meant more to Baylor, and, had, and maybe Baylor was spent and exhausted, and that's that's a rightful reasoning. They, they worked so hard to get back into the game. But this is a team that got walked out of the gym at Wake Forest, at Miami, mm-hmm. was down 21 at home to Pittsburgh, got blown out at home against Duke in, a, in, a, in an event that that never happens. And for the first four months of the year, we questioned and doubted their care factor. There's no questioning that anymore. They proved in the win at Duke in the regular season finale that they cared, and they proved Thursday that they cared when they took the, the, took control against Marquette, and then today all the adversity they faced in the final ten minutes, mm-hmm. and to not crack, 
was one of the most enjoyable things to watch because this isn't an experienced team. No. It's not an experienced coaching staff. And that's what that's what is honestly the the most surprising part maybe about all of it was not only the fact that you had to recover from Baylor getting themselves back in the game. You had to do it with with the team that's relatively young in terms of tournament experience and and let's be honest, looked like they were crumbling a little bit under the pressure. And then on the other side of the court, you're doing it against one of, if not the most experienced team in this tournament because of the run that they made last year. Again, we talked about it coming into the tournament. There's not a lot of experience in college basketball in general in the NCAA tournament because of what happened with the 2020 NCAA tournament being canceled. So a team like Baylor, a team like UCLA that Carolina could face coming up, they're going to have way more experience because of the deep runs they made last year than a lot of the teams that they're going to face. It was e- it was easy for Carolina to give in and say, look, we lost our top two, two of our top players. Our, we, we lost the two guys that pretty much won us the first game of the tournament. Yeah. And you could have you could have used that as an excuse, and this team, all throughout the the year, has really grown because they responded in a way that, yeah, early in the year they probably wouldn't have. Early in the year they would have gone into overtime and they probably would have lost the game by ten or more points because the panic would have been there. They didn't panic. You're seeing the leadership, and here's the thing, I, you know. Scott Drew, down the stretch of the game, really outcoached Hubert Davis. Yep. Hubert Davis did an unbelievable job with that break before overtime of shifting the mindset, and he completely outcoached Scott Drew in the in the overtime. And that's, that's amazing. For a first-year head coach that can put that behind him, and look, his, st- his staff as a whole deserves credit too, but for them to be able to put that behind them and get this group refocused and say, guys, look, we're, we still can win this game, mm-hmm. is it's amazing. that The resolve that these players showed is going to be what's talked about the most, but you you got to talk about the resolve from the coaching staff too. It was easy to give that one up. Well, you know, it's it was refreshing that every time you saw Huber Davis, he didn't look panicked. And how many coaches in this situation, in this tournament, when that's happening? I'm not not necessarily blowing a 25-point lead, but when your team is collapsing. And that's what Carolina effectively did the last 10 minutes. They fell apart. Mm-hmm. You, you'll see a worried look on the coach. And every time that they went to Hubert Davis, I'm not saying it was the most uplifting look. He just had that look of, you know, we're going to steady the ship. We're going to find a way. It was always... It was always positive mm-hmm. from him, and that's something I was very critical of him early in the year because I wanted to s- more emotion and I wanted some some negativity out of him. But there's a reason why he's a head coach and I'm a podcast host. So one thing that I I, I was thinking about, and I thought about this the other day, and I I think now it just continues to show. There was an article a couple week uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was like right after the Pittsburgh game. It might have been after Carolina picked up the win over Syracuse, maybe as they were getting ready to prepare for Duke, or maybe it was right before the Syracuse game. There was an article that came out that talked about the mental health struggles of some of the guys on this team. Since that came out, it seems like this team is is playing different. And I wonder how much of 
that was just a relief to be able to tell somebody that, yeah, we we have struggled mentally as a team because this is unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. You could tell the last two years prior to this year that it was not normal for this team. And especially last year, there were moments where you looked at that team and said, this is just a team that got guys, I mean, because we as, we as, you know, as just normal people were struggling with it. You can tell that these guys, something is just off mentally. And for this team, I wonder if that was the turning point. To get that off your chest, to admit, yeah, we've had moments where we've been struggling because of everything that we've been going through. Because since that moment, it's almost been like a rallying point. Like maybe this was something that guys just weren't talking about in the locker room. And now all of a sudden, once that came out, God said, you know what? I'm kind of going through the same thing. And I think it's just made this team stronger. You're seeing leaders that are starting to step up. And the thing that we talked about, what was the one thing that we pointed out when this team lost to Duke at home in the Smith Center? There wasn't energy around this team. There wasn't emotion around this team. These last two days, you've been tacked up for getting in guys' faces. Yep. Teams have come after you because they view you as a weak team. And this team has fought back. And you can see the excitement and the energy and just the general fun this team is having. This It is amazing to look from where this team was just a few weeks ago to where they are at now. And a lot of the credit needs to go to Huber Davis and his staff for getting them where they need to be and get them playing their best basketball when it's most important. Carolina now is 9-5 and five in the NCAA tournament as a number 8 seed. This is the third time they've upset a one seed in the second round of the NCAA tournament. It also marks the ninth win against a one seed since seeding began all the way back in 1979. That is tied for most in the history of the NCAA tournament. Let's take a look at the box score here. For Carolina, and it was it was a pretty one in some areas, and not and not so pretty in some others. But they shot forty nine percent from the field, twenty eight of fifty seven, compared to Baylor shooting thirty five percent. The Bears were twenty eight of eighty one, but Carolina made their three pointers. They were eleven of twenty five from behind the three point line. That's forty four percent. As Baylor was just twenty four percent from behind the three point line, they were nine of thirty seven. Uh, we'll talk about the fouling here in a little bit, but Carolina was 26 of 37 from the foul stripe, 70.3% on the day. Baylor was 21 of 27. That was 78%. Carolina out-rebounded Baylor 47 to 38, despite being out-rebounded on the offensive glass, 16 to 10. On Thursday, 29 assists on 34 made baskets. Today, 22 assists on 28 made baskets, so the ball movement was once again there for Carolina. Meanwhile, just 11 assists for Baylor on their 28 made field goals. Baylor did outsteal Carolina 10-7. Both teams had five blocks, and Carolina won a game away from the Smith Center where they turned the ball over 21 times. Um, And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Just 11 turnovers for Baylor. Um, Carolina committed 26 fouls. Baylor committed 27. Carolina's largest lead was 25, and Baylor's largest lead was four. Let's now move on to our quote of the game. 
And we're going to take you to Hubert Davis, who met with Ali LaForce at the conclusion of the game, talking about how proud he was of his team for finding out, finding another way to win a game and keep their 2021-22 season alive. I'm so proud of these guys because we've been in this situation before all season, and they've come through. This is a group of uh, toughness, resiliency, and I'm so proud of them. Now they, one of the things that I've desperately wanted for them, I wanted them to have their own testimonies, their own stories, their own memories of putting on that Carolina uniform and coming up big in big time moments and big time games. And as a coach, that makes me so proud to be able to see the smiles on these faces and see these guys step up. It is all because of them, and I'm so proud of them. You know, it's it's got repetitive talking, hearing him say, "I want them to write their own stories, their own testimonies, and have their own experiences." Oh, he's he's. This is one thing he's definitely done as a first year head coach. Is is his ride isn't over yet? He has definitely developed his Hubert cliches. There's no doubt about that. But when you look at what this team has done, when you look when we look back at the season and. Really, before the Duke game, you would have thought the season would be a footnote. This season just kind of happened. No. No, this team went into Cameron Indoor Stadium and beat Duke and Coach K's final home game. And now they've at least made the Sweet 16 as a number 8 seed. They're writing their, they're, they're writing their stories. They're writing their testimonies. Armando Baycott said he came back to leave a legacy. He's left a legacy now at Carolina. He's taken a team to a Sweet 16. He set the record for most rebounds in a single season, for most double-doubles in a single season. And, you know, we don't know the future of a Caleb Love in terms of the NBA, but he's etched his mind or his name into Carolina's uh, fans' hearts. So is R.J. Davis. Brady Manick, a guy we knew we only, we only had for one year, but Brady Manick feels like Carolina. He looks like one of Carolina's biggest mascots, British Tar Heel, just with a better beard and a better mane. Like, and it's just so crazy, but this is what March does. Mm -hmm. It allows you to write stories that you didn't think were possible because we didn't see none of this coming, rightfully so. It wasn't us being, you know, overly negative or anything like that. It was just looking at the reality of the situation. Well, the reality of the situation is now Carolina's one of the 16 teams still left playing basketball, and that's... That's a fun thing to be a part of. Um, after not making it past the second uh, out of the first round last year, and of course the tournament being canceled two years before that, move on now to our stat of the game. And I went three point shooting because we talked about entering the game how important it was going to be for Carolina to make their three point shots. I said they got to make eight to ten. They made eleven, and R.J. Davis was a flamethrower today for for Carolina. Um, and Brady Manick also keeping up um, the the nice three point shooting as well. And Carolina needs them to be um, because that's that's how they're that's how they they, they were going to upset Baylor. That's how if they're going to make it to the Elite Eight, they're going to have to continue to shoot the three ball really well. But Davis five of ten, Manick four of eight, Love was just one of four. But the biggest three of the game was Dontre Styles. Yep, that, yep. You that beat me th- to, you're beating me to all my points today. You beat me to one on Twitter, yep. and now you beat me to the Dontre Styles one. That that's why you're the second hardest working man on the pod. That 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 changed that changed the whole the whole mindset of that team. If that if that shot doesn't go, I really don't know what overtime looks like because that I think just settled everything down and said, look, we can still make shots, guys. We've done it today. We've knocked down. We got guys that are playing 
huge minutes that we didn't expect to be playing huge minutes. And to see one of those guys step out there, knock down a shot as a true freshman when he could have been panicking himself, I think just settled this whole team down and and really just jump-started them in overtime. That, that shot, when you look back on however far this run goes, and you look back particularly on this game, there's a couple of moments, and, and R.J. Davis's N1 will be one of them. Mm-hmm. This shot was bigger. That well, that was the biggest shot of this game. Think about a freshman who in January and February didn't play a whole lot, and we kind of wondered why. But Hubert Davis would always say when he's asked about it in the in, in his in his pressers, look, everyone's going to have an opportunity. He got his opportunity late February, early March, like Puff Johnson. He's made the most of it. And for a freshman reserve to come off the bench and have to play the minutes he had to play and be put in that situation for the last 10 minutes of the second half really on because he had to be on the court, that's toughness. And that's something that, you know, when when we're projecting forward to next year uh, is going to be – is, is going to be a really big thing for Dontrez Styles because he's getting experience in the NCAA tournament. He's getting experience yeah. in Cameron Indoor Stadium, having to make make plays. And and none of this will be immeasurable this year. Well, I mean, maybe because now Carolina knows if he has to play in the Sweet 16, big minutes, you can count him to get a rebound, to get a defensive, make a defensive, make a shot, whatever. Right. That's, no, it's, it's hard now to not not justify playing him more. Yeah. Because I I mean, you know, I, I Puff gives a lot of effort too. I I mean, Dontre Styles might be your best bench rebounder that you got. Man. He's a, he's a great He can man. clean the glass. He he He, he kind of reminds me of me when I was dominating church basketball. Oh my god. Rebounding go with one again. leg. Can we go through an episode without this? This these these lies, especially this episode. Come on. But I, I got to make it about me. Of course, you always do. But it's yeah, the resolve of him is amazing, and that's that's going to be, I think, the word when you look back at this team. We heard it a lot today, but resolve is going to be the word to describe this team because there's so many different guys on this team individually and really the team as a whole mm-hmm. where there were moments where you could just say, this ain't my season. Yep. This is not going to work out for me. And that was not the mindset of any of these guys. Dontre Styles today, this is far from the ideal situation. There is no way that you went into this game saying to yourself, hey, Dontrez Styles is going to play 25 minutes. If you did, then... You were smoking crack. No, you need to call me because if you foresaw that coming, I'm going with you to Vegas. We're making a huge stack of money. We do have women <laughs> listeners that listen to the pod that might be single, so if you want to read the digits out, you know... No, I I'm now giving I, you the platform to try to get a girlfriend. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's risky. That's risky because there are people that listen that might get angry at us at some point and want to want to send us a text message. How about the Twitter handle though for the ladies at HTB Anthony for me? This guy, this guy's taken, so you can't. That's that. That is true. <laughs> but at HTB Josh, if you want to hit him up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it, for for him to be put in that situation, and I'm I'm not going to say I, I wasn't nervous. I I, I felt like. He was a guy that that would be able to handle it, but he he made he made the little intangible plays that you needed him to make. There were a couple of times where he dove on the floor, didn't get the ball either time, but just the the outright effort where it's honestly hard to look back 
and believe that there was a time where we were looking at this team and asking, do they actually want to play basketball? And now, yeah. I mean, you're talking about a team that, I mean, that's one of the gutsiest wins that you're you're ever going to have. Yep. And I didn't, and I didn't think that it could get better for Hubert Davis in terms of a game that he coached this year than that game against Duke. This was a better coaching job from Hubert Davis. Yeah, and I mean, it's something that he's now he continues to justify and validate why when Roy Williams retired. They handed him the program, and they didn't hire the experienced mid-major coach like Wes Miller that I claimed for. Yeah, we, we've we got a very, very interesting addition to the podcast that's going to be coming up at the end of the year that you guys will want to stay tuned for. Yeah. And we, I'm telling you, we've still got a long way to go. It's going to be probably on Masters Week because, you know, it's it, it, we, we have to see the team cut down the net first. But, uh <laughs> I, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, there are a lot of people, and, and this is the thing, a lot of people, I've seen people already, I've got the receipts of people that were saying stuff about Hubert Davis, I'm, I'm come on, there had to be a point where everybody Doubt was it. looking and saying, you know, is this the right, even if, even if you were thinking with, with Wes Miller, is this the right hire, it's not even the fact that it was Hubert Davis, it was the fact of... There were there had to be a moment for you where you said to yourself, "Man, I miss Roy Williams." Oh yeah, because we've all gotten to that point. I still miss him. I yeah. still do. But this is a team that is starting to gain its own identity, and it's one that you're going to remember for a long time. Especially if we start seeing this from Hubert Davis moving forward. And now, I think this is the thing. Look, could we eventually get back to a point where? You're you're discussing Hubert Davis and everything. Yes, right now you should feel extremely secure about the hire of Hubert Davis because this dude knows how to coach. This dude has made the adjustments, and look, he was learning as a first year head coach. I truly believe that, and you're seeing the progression from him alongside of his team, and it's it's starting to become a fun ride. It was frustrating for a while. Yeah, it now it's starting to get fun. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll play you this week's ad from DraftKings, and then when we come back, more thoughts and takeaways from Carolina's 91-86 win upset over Baylor as the Tar Heels advance to the Sweet 16. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your favorite team's victory into your own big win, and we mean the Tar Heels. Bet on the heels to get it done, guys. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win, the Tar Heels, and get $200 in free bets if they do so. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. 
If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers. It's been a wild NCAA tournament so far, and if history shows us anything, we still got a lot more madness to come as we work our way through the NCAA tournament. The first really thought takeaway we got to talk about is R.J. Davis because I thought going into the game that Carolina was going to need him and Love to both play and play well. Um, but it was very apparent when the game started that Caleb Love was going to have an off game because you just, you know, he's the type of guy that you know when he's off, he's going to be off. And it, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if RJ just went ahead and sensed that or he just, you know, threw on his Batman cape or did whatever to come save the day. But 30 points, 8 of 17 from the field, 5 of 10 from behind the three point line, 5 rebounds, 6 assists. In the last nine minutes of the game, he was the best ball handler on the court. Well, if if I know that... He's always been. And if you know that, well, then Baylor knows that. So they took him out of getting the ball, and Carolina's offense discombobulated. But that and one in overtime, to finish through that contact, something he has struggled with the majority of the season. He's drawn the fouls. He just hasn't finished through the fouling. To finish that and put that free throw in, that pushed Carolina's lead to six... That that that'll be a moment when R.J. Davis's career is is over and he's you know won the Koozie Award and he's cut down the nets and Carolina's won a national championship. When he's watching that rat that that name that jersey go up into the rafters up there, that's yeah yeah that's going to be one of the defining moments. But You're right. And so when when you think when when you think about what started the legend the legend of R.J. Davis, it'll be that play and. He's as well. He's as tough a, a guard. I and I've I've seen my fair share of great guards. He's as tough a guard as I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean it's it's up there. Um, and this is what we knew about him really all along. We we knew this last year. We looked at him and we said this this dude. You you told me that before. Nah, maybe it wasn't before the season, but it was it was pretty early last year. You said this guy, this is this is Joel Berry, just a younger version of him, and and maybe a different number, and 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 maybe maybe better hair, more of a combo guard than I think. I think Joel was a true point guard. You never really questioned that with him. Where I think with RJ, you had some of those concerns, but you're. You're starting to see, yeah, this dude, th- this is basically, he's taking a similar trajectory to him, too. And I'm going to be honest, I'd love to talk to Joel and ask him, do you, is this a guy that you feel mirrors you? Because it's, it's amazing the comparisons between the two. And it's, be- it should be very clear now. You might not, you might not like Joel's answer, though, because guess who he mirrored his game after? Ty Lawson. No, my church basketball career. Oh, good God. Because I sent him the footage. You already made one of those references in this. You get one of those a podcast. You, can, do, you do it again. I'm kicking you off, and I'm running this podcast myself. Um, you watch it. But you know, RJ's got this blend of kind of like Ty and Joel when he wants to get downhill. He's going to get to where he wants to get to. And he started realizing more and more as the season's gone along that that is my strength. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, look, it's it's. There are times I think he's been, 
There's been moments where if he takes an early foul, offensive foul inside, it kind of changes the way that he plays the game. But you can't. I love the aggressive mindset. I mean, don't get out of control. There's still moments like that, and he's still young. But the way he's played down the stretch of the season, and it started before the Duke game, but that was the game where he really settled in and realized, I'm the one that needs to run this team as the point guard. And since that moment... You've seen him share the ball a lot better. And this team offensively has just been yeah, they, a, a, a more complete group. It so, blows. There's better ball movement. Um, just and, and today the three-point shooting because you knew Carolina had to they, – they, they had to make them. But you also knew Baylor was going to make you take tough shots. And he hit that one step back right in front of the bench. And you just – that was just another sign that he was feeling it. He was confident in his shot. And, you know – it's been so funny because when one or the other play really well, Love or Davis, Carolina's been really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, and when they both play well, which the game at Duke is the best example of them both playing at a high level, then you could see a team that if they made the Final Four, you wouldn't be overly surprised because they've got all the other moving pieces that you got to have to to make a run at this thing. The, the other thing you got to love about RJ is. I mean, this dude just steps up in these big games. Yep. Those, that's the games where he plays the best. He loves like, the spotlight. He's kind, of, and he kind of comes out of nowhere. Like he was kind of quiet, comes into that game against Duke, and just goes off. And you know, with him too, you can feel it early on. If he knocks down a shot from the outside early, the confidence goes through the roof. Mm-hmm. And he did it again today. He was quiet. He didn't hit. He he struggled. In that first game against Marquette, when Carolina needed him in this game, and in the two most important games of the season now, he has stepped up and made the plays. That's the thing that you should feel most confident about with him moving forward. And man, if he could consistently get that shot to go from the outside, I'm telling you, this is a dude that's going to be right there in those conversations with those all-time great point guards because he's he's got it. He definitely does. It's now about putting together the consistency, and I think it's going to come. But here's the thing. Right now, enjoy the ride that's going on because I think he's going to continue to shine in this tournament. Another guy who was shining before he got shunned from the game was Brady Manick, who scored 26 points before his ejection joining a short list of Tar Heels that include Lenny Rosenbluth, Antoine Jameson, and Michael Jordan scored 26 points or more in consecutive NCAA tournament games. No, Phil, Phil Ford. Phil okay. Ford instead of Antoine Jameson. Oh. Yes, but, but a great player. So you told, me the, you told me the wrong stat. No, I did not. That's, I read this out to you earlier. And I, you said Antoine You Jameson. were half listening. You were half listening over there. I was working. That's, that's, that's one point for me. Um, but... The ejection call was wrong. Was uh, it a, yes. Was it a flagrant I, yeah. foul? Yes. Yeah, it's it's look, it's contact to the face. It was it was out of out of the run of play. It's something that could have been avoided. But I did not think that it was intentionally targeted. My thing is, okay, you eject him for that. And then a play that is nowhere close to a basketball play. I, this one probably could have been avoided, but at least he was getting positioned for a rebound. Earlier in the game, Sohan literally, he's laying on the floor 
after a foul, closes his legs around Armando's yeah. leg, clearly trying to pull him down to the floor, injure him, whatever. How is that not a flagrant two? Yeah, look, that so, doesn't make sense. Sohan is a poor man's Dennis Rodman. That's what he's going for for the hair. And look, let me tell you, buddy. Carmen Electra would not want you to fly out to Vegas and have a stay overnight with her. Would she want me to fly out to Vegas and have a stay overnight? After me, she might. Okay. The fact that that guy, who was in every scuffle that happened, whether it was with Baycott, uh, he hit the floor as many times as I've I've seen anybody hit the floor. I mean, I, I just I didn't get, but that call changed the game. Yep. And. The, the worst part about it was we could say Carolina lost their composure. Carolina did. They melted down the last 10 minutes. Oh, there's no denying it. So did the officiating crew because there was a stretch from that moment on. There were 10 straight whistles called in the game. All 10 against Carolina. There was so much contact that was let go, but then on the other end there was ticky-tack fouls being called. And like, look, and here's the thing. I thought in overtime, I thought Carolina got away. I thought Dontre Styles hit the hand of I forget who took that last shot. This was a horrendously official game. Yep. There's no denying and that. And look, you got to credit Baylor cuz Flagler, Akinjo, they they adjusted. They said, "Look, they're going to call the whistles." We're going to put our head down. We're going to draw the contact, and we're going to we're going to put them in a position to call fouls. Mm. And the officials did that. But you know what's bad when the Duke contingent that exists on Twitter, like the Seth Davises of the world, they're on Twitter, not knowing what the hell is going on because there are fouls being called. That were they fouls? Maybe. But you know what? You got to call them on both ends. But but you also you you let the game get to that point with and look Brady did not intentionally elbow the guy in the head right or in the face. But you to let the game get to that point already, kind of like on Thursday with the the issue with Daryl Morso from Marquette. Well, this is my thing. So you have the dude closing closing his legs around Armando's leg to pull him down. Clearly not a basketball play, and the headlock from the other day against Marquette, and then you add in Brady's elbow to the face. Out of those three plays, if you showed somebody those three plays, are you telling me, and you said, look, one of them results in an ejection. You pick which one it is. There is nobody on planet Earth that picks Brady Mannix play mm-hmm. out first. How in the hell did a dude that literally tried to choke a man out stay in the game, but you get an inadvertent elbow to the face and you're going with a flagrant two? I mean, and, and come on. You know, Carolina, you know, they fought through it as best they could because you lose Mannix to the ejection. Five minutes later... Love fouls out on a questionable drive to the basket. Armando Baycott in a scuffle with Shohan picked up that double technical. We thought he had four fouls already. Frank, uh, ultimately, he only had three. Yeah. He picks up four. I don't know. See, I don't know if they got confused with him and Love's foul it distribution. I, I, don't, I don't know. And to be honest with you, you can't really blame them. I can't even imagine trying to figure out the number of fouls in that game. There were, and Jones Angel tweeted this stat out, which just blew my mind. There were 56 made baskets between the two sides in this game. There were 53 fouls called in this game. Mm-hmm. That is un-freaking-believable. And it's no wonder that, because Akinjo fouled out at the end, right? You had four guys that fouled out, and Armando was right on the brink of fouling well, out. Well, that too. was going to be my next point. Armando picked up his fourth foul with over four minutes left to go in the game. 
Hubert Davis, no choice. You had to take him out. Puts him back in two fifteen or so. Plays the next and, seven and, minutes and then pick up that. And look, out. there were some questionable. There, there, were there some was questionable times for Mondo where you were like, "All right, buddy, and, and, can we back off here?" And Baylor put him in positions to where you know you had to contest, but you had to contest and not foul. And then mm-hmm. R.J. Davis got his fourth foul. And needless to say, we won't see that officiating crew ever again. And speaking of a guy that I never want to see again in a close, important game. I think we learned the hard way why Joey didn't play very much. Look, I'm going to fight you a little bit on this one. I I did not have a I didn't have the biggest issue with the fact that he was on the floor. My biggest issue, why was he the guy inbounding the ball? A guy that hasn't played that much put in a situation and and my thing is okay, you had him inbound it for 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 a couple a couple of times and you realize that look, even your guys that were playing big minutes for you all year were panicking and struggling in that moment. Leaky Black was out of sorts. So if he's struggling, you should have known that, dude, a guy like Justin McCoy that hasn't played much, he didn't play much at Virginia, and he hasn't played much here, he's not going to know what to do in that situation. He shouldn't have been I on got the floor why he was. Puff. I got on why he was on the floor in terms of, his ability on the defensive end, I think he moves and can stay in front of dribble drives better than Puff can, and I think that was what they were concerned about. But Puff's, Puff's, Puff was your first guy off the bench. I mean, I get for it. Ha- for how many straight games? I get it, but on the defensive end of the floor, I didn't really have an issue with what McCoy was doing. In terms of inbounding the ball... I, that that was well. They, that they, was tough. They, they they made some mistakes there, well, but so did Leaky. Leaky threw the lob up to Armando. They, they that was did. questionable. I mean, and look, part of that, um, you got to credit Baylor for lo- looking at the the state of the game. Right. No That's Caleb Love. We're gonna apply. The, it was kind of like when Syracuse came back against Virginia in the sixteen Elite Eight to make the Final Four. It completely threw Carolina out of rhythm. Mm-hmm. But you watch Justin McCoy consecutively possessions. Every time he inbounded the ball, he put the ball at the spot where the ball was not supposed to go. And I just think a guy like Puff Johnson, who's come off the bench more than any other player outside of Dontrez Styles the last third of the season, that guy should be on the court. Because you know if he has to take a shot, he can make the shot. He can rebound the ball. And he's going to give me maximum effort defensively. He might get beat. He might, he might, he might foul. But he's going to commit, or he's going to give me the effort that the team needed. And I just thought, had it gone wrong and Carolina didn't win the game, Hubert Davis has a lot of, and he still has questions he's got to answer about that because ultimately it was still the wrong decision. It worked out. It wasn't right. But on the flip side, those 25 minutes for Dontrez Styles, man. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you're talking about, you know, and I mean, we, we can argue that one all, all we want. There's no arguing that he made the right call on Dontrez Styles. And, you know, most people would say, coming into the game, if you told him that he played more than Puff and played over 20 minutes, well, why is he playing that much? A lot went wrong. He made the decision. I mean, Hubert Davis had to make the decision, and he made it early. And this is the second straight game now where he's come in first off yep, the bench. You're right. He's showing something in practice. He's doing the right things. 
And for Hubert to go to him, even as often as he did before he was put in the situation where he had no choice but to go to him, was amazing. That was that was a that was a great move by Hubert Davis, and he deserves a lot of credit for it because it's not easy to trust a guy that hasn't played. And we're not talking about a guy that hasn't played a lot of like he's playing like seven or eight minutes. We're talking about a dude that literally is not playing in games. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there with his warm up shirt on the whole time. Yep. And to now make him that big of a part of what you do. And to know that, hey, we're going to get what we need to get out of him, man, you, I mean, th- that's that was a ballsy move by Hubert Davis, and it, it worked out. There's no denying this team today, as a whole, this team has bigger stones than Ramsey's. I mean, this is un- I mean, this is un- unprecedented. The amount of different guys that were put into awkward situations that they've probably never been in before, and to just adjust on the fly like that, man, I- I've never. This is this is one of the proudest moments of me as a Ontario tar- basketball fan because everybody stepped up. And made plays when they had to. The last thing that we're going to talk about is a situation that Carolina was put in that wasn't too unfamiliar, and that was closing the game out. Now, granted, yes, they did blow a 25-point lead, and the last 10 minutes of the game, they did not make the plays they had to make. That's fair. But the game reset, and in overtime, they held Baylor to 1 of 11 from the field. They outscore them, and Carolina goes on to win the game. And um, This is a team that we were semi-concerned when they were grinding out those wins over the Virginia Techs, the Boston Colleges, the two wins that you had to grind out against Louisville. They felt concerning because you felt like those were games that Carolina should have won, and they did win, but they should have won more comfortably. But the flip side we always told you was that they are going to show up at some point. We thought that some point was Duke. It was Duke. And then it was today. Mm-hmm. Being in those situations and those environments, like that game at Louisville, hostile at road environment, you had stuff thrown at you for how bad the officiating was called and stuff like that. Today was a, a, a de facto road game. You were playing in Fort Worth. That's an hour away from Baylor's campus. So it was a pro-Baylor crowd. And Carolina never completely lost their composure. And they regrouped. And they went in that overtime with house money and made every single play they had to they, they had to make to win the game. And that's a sign of a good team, a disciplined team. Mm-hmm. And now they're a mature team. Because now we we're not going to be overly phased if they're in that situation next weekend in, in, in the Sweet 16. And we're going to trust them a lot more than we would have two months ago. Because it's almost like they're built for those moments. They're they're frustrating that you got to get there, mm-hmm. but you still trust whether it's RJ to make a play, Armando to grab a rebound, whoever it is. You trust this team is still going to find a way. That Louisville road game is the perfect example because that's another game where you had the Caleb Love turnover and you went into overtime thinking, "Well, we had a chance to close it out in regulation. This should have been our game. How's this team going to respond?" And they responded. And yep. now, granted, you could say whatever you want that the officiating in that game wasn't great. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think they responded. Today, 
They did the same thing. And I would love to hear what Hubert Davis said in there, but I would have to imagine that that game, the game at home against Louisville, the game against Syracuse, Duke, those are games that it adds up because the last few years, Carolina didn't win these types of games. That's why you couldn't use that as, as an example the last couple of years. This year, you had more to pull from, and it came in handy in this game to point back to those and say, look, we can do it, guys. We've got the guys to do it. Now let's actually go out there and execute it. A neat thing was on my Snapchat stories, or my neat. memories. It, By the uh, way? <laughs> it, uh, it showed... Five years ago today, Carolina beat Arkansas in the second round of the tournament to advance to the Sweet 16. Man. Remember, they closed that game on a 12 nothing run. Yeah. In the post game, Roy Williams with Dana Jacobson said, we never won a game like this all year. Let's do it now. And that was for a team that went on to win a national championship. Well, Carolina hadn't blown a 25-point lead this year like they did today. And had they lost the game, it would have tied the biggest margin for comeback of, uh, in the history of the tournament. But they've won games like that mm-hmm. all season long and that showed up again today and that's why Carolina's still dancing and this time of year it's survive and advance and today they survived and they advanced dare I say it's pretty sweet yeah (laughs) guys that is going to wrap up this edition of the four corners podcast we do encourage you guys to get over the website heeltoughblog.com for the latest on Carolina's run during the NCAA tournament as well as the latest regarding spring football as well as for the podcast things, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. You can like the pod, you can review the pod, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the podcast throughout the remainder of the season. Well, it is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.